Hey everybody, I'm Logan Camden. I'm Carson Brabber. And this is Nerd Sesh. No! Oh my god, how could he do that? Are you on What? Charles Darwin. Welcome everybody back into Nerd Sesh as we continue to record from a remote location. We're switching up the medium through which we do it today because, unfortunately, last week we ended up losing about half of our episode because of some technical difficulties. We're not going to let that happen again. We have changed up the hardware. And today, we're going to be talking about the top 10 shooting guards of all time. We've done every other position on the basketball court, and so it only felt right that we knock out this one as we continue to look back to the past because there's nothing going on right now. So, Logan, let's start with number 10. Who do you have? So number 10, I really expected to have way higher on my list, and it's Tracy McGrady. And I guess I just naturally assumed that T-Mac would be maybe up near seven or eight on my list because he led the league in scoring multiple times, but he just, you know, ultimately never found that team success and was limited heavily due to his uh, injuries. Uh, The numbers will impress you lifetime near 20-point-per-game score. He just – he doesn't have the team success that would warrant him being higher on my list. So I have T-Mac at 10 as well. And initially I had him off my list in favor of Joe Dumars because I wanted to reward the winning that Dumars had, the elite defense, the consistency consistency throughout his career. But there came a point where you look at McGrady. He's seven-time All-NBA, two-time first team, three-time second, two-time third team. He has two top five MVP finishes. His seven-season prime, 26.9 points per game, 6.6 rebounds, 5.4 assists on 44% shooting, 34.5% from three. He is so uniquely gifted as one of the greatest scorers of all time and one of the greatest big playmakers of all time, not to mention how good he was defensively, especially early in his career when that was his role. And he never got out of the first round, that's true. But if you actually look at his playoff resume, career playoff averages for Houston, 28-7-7 for Orlando, 32, six and a half, and six. So yes, it's a black mark, but he pushed good teams to seven games three times, went seven against the Pistons in 03 with Pat Garrity as the second leading scorer on the team that season by total points. 05 lost the Mavs in seven. 07 lost the Jazz in seven. The really good Jazz who made the Western Conference Finals that year, if I'm not mistaken. 08 lost the Jazz in six without Yao. So obviously there's the issue of him and Yao never really being healthy at the same time. What happened with Grant Hill, the fact that he and Vince didn't play together at their peaks. There's Mm -hmm. just so much that is unfortunate about McGrady's career where you look and you think he might be the third most talented player on this list. He is so uniquely gifted. And my first thought was that he wasn't even going to be on my list because there's an interesting blend among the shooting guards and that there's not a lot of all-time individual stars, but there's a lot of guys that contributed to winning. And so that's something you sort of had to balance against each other in this list. No, I agree. But I think the closest the, the closest debate I had for 10 wasn't Dumars. I think it was probably with Pistol Pete. But Pistol Pete had the same issue of, you know, he never had the team success. He, uh, I mean, he had three seasons in the playoffs in Atlanta and then one with uh, Boston where he didn't have barely any playing time. I also think Carson, I want to get your opinions obviously because you're up close and personal. How long until Clay Thompson could make this list? 
Yeah, he's one of my honorable mentions. And I think that if he really just rides out the rest of his career, he could end up snagging that 10 spot, if not higher, because when you are the second best player on one championship team, the third best player on another two, that's historically significant. And he's going to be a consistent 20-point-per-game guy for probably eight years or so. Maybe he can even extend that for longer. Probably not, though, because he's right around 30 now. But, yeah, he's definitely already in the conversation, and I think with more longevity, he might enter this list. Where was Reggie Miller also in relation to all this? Well, Reggie Miller is on my list. Is Reggie not on your list? Reggie did not make my list. Ooh, Logan, you and I are going to disagree. All right, let's move on to number nine. Who do you have there? Number nine, I have Ray Allen. Okay. This one's going to sound spicy to people. I do not have Ray Allen on my list. And the reason for that is this. He put up, to me, I mean, his best statistical seasons were on teams that weren't all that great, besides 0-1 with the Bucks when they almost made the finals and he averaged like 25 a game in the playoffs, and that was great. But he wins a title as the third best guy, wins another title as a role player. Yes, he's one of the greatest shooters of all time, probably the second greatest shooter of all time. He's the guy that could get a bucket, but I don't think that he won enough to be on this list. My number nine is a guy for whom I am very much rewarding winning, and that is Sam Jones. So why don't you talk about Ray Allen first, and then I'll shout out the boy Sammy J. Sam is a good pick, and I, I did seriously consider Sam Jones for a little bit, but ultimately went with Ray Allen. I mean, I watched Ray. I saw what he did. He was very easy to get attached to as a kid just because of that pure jump shot. Mm. I mean, when I look at it, Carson, though, I see Ray Allen as Boston's Chris Bosh. I mean, Ray Allen was – very good in Milwaukee and Seattle. I mean, 20 points per game every season from 1999 to 2007. I think that Ray Allen was a was a beast. And when he went to Boston, he just took a back role because that's what he had to do. He's a 10-time All-Star. The, well, obviously, well, the career leader. Is, let me ask you this. Was Chris Bosh on your top 10 power forwards list? I don't think so. I rest my case. But continue. The power forward is such a drastically different position to judge. I mean, I think we have – Honestly, more talented players at the four. Yeah, that's probably true. I would say out of all these lists, shooting guard is the weakest. I would agree. All right, so keep going on, Ray. I mean, that's, that's basically where I'm at. I mean, he's a, the career leader in three-pointers made. And, yeah, he only has two all-NBA teams, but I feel like his one ring in Boston, and as cheesy as that sounds, warrants him being on my list and over T-Mac. Yeah, and that's all right, and I understand why I'm in the minority on that. Of course, I considered Ray. There were really three guys I really considered for the 10th spot. I really considered Dumars, I really considered Hal Greer, and I really considered Ray Allen. But this is the direction I ended up going. So for Sam Jones, he's a 10-time champion, which is the second most in NBA history behind only his teammate Bill Russell, a five-time All-Star, three-time second-team All-NBA Career averages of 17.7, 4.9, and 2.5 on 46% shooting. And I think that typically people remember him as really the third guy on the championship teams that he was on behind, obviously, Bill Russell and John Havlicek. But he was the leading scorer on three championship teams and in his prime was one of the league's best scorers, averaged 25.9 points per game in the 64-65 season. And I always value guys that step it up in the playoffs. 18.9 points per game overall in the playoffs. He's top 30 in playoffs total points. 
from 62 to 67, averaged 23-plus points per game in each postseason and 25.3 points per game overall over that five-year stretch. And then in the finals, he was really good for the most part. 17.9 points per game on 46% shooting. He's number seven in finals total points. In the 62 finals, 22 points per game. Had a series winner right before that in game seven of the Eastern Conference Finals. 63, he averages 25 and 7. 64, he's 21 a game. 65, he's 28 a game. 66, he's 23 a game. And then 69, even as he's aging, he has the game winner in game four, which is probably the defining shot of his career. So I'm always big on rewarding winning, and I'm big on rewarding playoff performance. And I think that you'd be hard-pressed to find more deserving people in that category than Sam Jones. That was a, uh, that was a good pitch, Carson. I'll give you that. Thank you. Um, if we're going to move forward, I am going to, this one was, was a really tough, uh, from here on out, the next couple guys were really hard to determine at number eight. I have Manu Ginobili. Okay. So our lists are so different. Manu is also not on my list. Oh, can I just say, can I just say something? You have underrated Reggie Miller so dramatically. Reggie Miller. I don't think so. I don't think so. We're going to have a Reggie Miller Ray Allen debate very soon. But first, I'd like you to acknowledge Manu because um, he's a great player. He had a great career, but I didn't really give him a hard look for my list. I mean, when you look at his individual accolades, obviously Manu Ginobili will not blow you out of the water, but that's not really the point. Are we going to discredit a guy because his entire career he was on good teams and he produced on those teams? I mean, from. 2004, where he was an all-star until, uh, let's see here, 2011, he was over 16 points a night every night for San Antonio, rarely starting. He was a, he was a spark plug right off the bench, and I think that, I think that we should consider that his four NBA championships matter, and not to mention Manu was two times All-NBA. I think that matters, especially with all of his playoff success. No, it does matter, and he's not just one of the he's the greatest sixth man ever I would say I understand that Jamal Crawford's going to end up with more sixth man or Jamal Crawford and Lou Williams both have three Manu only has one that doesn't matter he impacted winning far more than either of those guys so mm-hmm. I can't take real exception to having him at number 10 or around there I can take real exception to having him over Reggie Miller who is my number eight so here's why you're also very wrong on Reggie Miller the raw numbers are not all that astounding. 18, three and three, although the efficiency is incredible, 47, 39 and a half, 89 splits, a five-time all-star, three-time third-team All-NBA, only one top 15 MVP finish. He finished 13th in MVP voting once. That's the best he ever did. So regular season accolades, regular season statistics, it's understandable. He was incredibly consistent, had 12 straight years, averaging 18 plus points per game, double-digit scoring in all 18 seasons of his career. Again, the efficiency, 50, 40, 90, 93, 94. But this is why he is a no-brainer on this list. 15 playoff appearances, six Eastern Conference Finals appearances, six and one finals appearance. In the playoffs, averaged 20.6 points per game, so two and a half better on 45, 39, 89 splits. His first 12 postseasons through age 36, the 0102 season, 23 and a half points per game. 46% from the field and 41% from three through 12 postseasons in 95 in the playoffs, 
Averaged 25 and a half on 48, 42, 86 splits over 17 games. 99, 2000. Averaged 24 on 45, 39 and a half. 94 splits over 22 games on their run to the finals, where it's underrated how hard they pushed the Lakers. It was a competitive six-game series. That was his age 34 season. And in those finals, averaged 24.3, was 45 of 46 from the line. And then in 01, still averaged over 31 points per game in a first-round loss. So he's one of the clutchest performers ever. I think that that's been made famous by, you know, his eight points in nine seconds, his performance against, Sp- against Spike Lee. I, I guess not really against Spike Lee, but inspired by Spike Lee in the choke game. But those aren't just specific moments. Those are really characteristic of the fact that he always stepped up in the biggest games. And that much team success as the best guy on all of those teams, every single one of them, I just think that he's absolutely deserving of being here. And I think the difference between him and Ray Allen is Ray may have had more gaudy numbers. Ray, in my opinion, never contributed to winning like Reggie Miller did. Manu's uh, fourth in all-time uh, career three-pointer uh, playoff uh, three-pointers. You know that Carson? <laughs> I didn't know that. That's very impressive. Good for Manu. Yeah, yeah no, he's a beast. Um, I mean, I can't really argue any of your numbers. They're they're all very good. And Reggie was an all-time scorer, but the rings matter, in my opinion, with Manu and ring for Ray Allen. Here's my only thing: is the fact that. Ray Allen was the third best guy on our championship team. And then the second one, I mean, yes, he hit the biggest shot, but he's coming off the bench. To tell me Reggie Miller couldn't have done that, Reggie Miller could have done that easily. He just, I mean, in an 0405, he basically could have. I mean, if their team was a little bit better, you know, they're they're going to the Eastern Conference Finals as is, and he's still contributing to that team. So I just think if he wanted to switch teams and abandon his situation and go join the Lakers in the last couple of years of his career and win a championship that way, like Ray Allen did, I think he could have. But I just think he showed that he was more cap- capable as a number one when it came to winning. Let's move on into the top seven. Who do you have at number seven? I think seven was about the cutoff point where it was the pretenders and contenders up here. I think it's where the list, where our list will probably have similar players. Okay. Hopefully, hopefully. We'll see. Uh, at number seven, I have uh, Clyde Drexler. Okay. At number seven, I have Allen Iverson. So why don't you talk about Clyde, who I think you have underrated, I will say. I mean, Drexler is a guy that, like I said, I couldn't justify putting Manu over just because of, you know, obviously how dominant Clyde Drexler was. Yeah. I feel like, and I was about to say, I feel like Drexler is criminally underrated in basketball circles because he played second fiddle to Michael Jordan his entire career. But he was a solid contributor on every team he played for until he retired, and he's a lifetime 20-point-per-game scorer. And he was a decently solid contributor on the Houston championship team he played for. A 10-time All-Star, one-time first-team All-NBA, two-time second-team All-NBA, and two-time third-team All-NBA. I feel, like, I feel like Drexler was very good, but the reason I would have a guy like Iverson over him is – actually, I don't really know why I have Iverson over him. I don't know if I can get <laughs> argument right now. Yeah, um, I disagree with Iverson over him, mainly because of their impact on winning. The fact that Clyde was the best player on two finals teams is so underrated. And then I don't think he gets associated with the Rockets' two-peat as much because he got traded there in the 94-95 season. But 
I mean, he was huge for them. He was the second all-star. He was the guy that they never had where now it's not like Otis Thorpe is our second best player or Sam Cassell. We have a legitimate second star. I'll get to Clyde. I think Clyde is incredibly underrated. But the reason I have AI here, so I'll run down the accolades. He's an MVP and 11-time All-Star, three-time first-team All-NBA, three-time second team, three-time third team, four-time scoring champ, 26.7 points per game is seventh all-time, and 6.2 assists per game on 42.5% shooting, 10 straight years averaging 26-plus points per game, and three total top five MVP finishes. In the playoffs, 29.7 points per game, but on just 40% shooting, 26.5 field goal attempts, and he only even made the playoffs eight times and only won a single playoff series in four years in his entire career. The 0-1 playoffs are incredible. 33 points per game in the 22-game playoffs, even though it was on 39% shooting, 30 field goal attempts, which is just ridiculous. But then in the finals, he's incredible. Obviously opens with that 48-point game, 35.6 points per game overall in that series, 35-plus in four of the five games. AI, even with the marvelous inefficiency, and I think he's the most inefficient volume scorer in NBA history, his skill set as a scorer is undeniable. He's one of the greatest bucket getters ever, but he was difficult to build a winning team around. I mean, when you look at the team that did win, it's the great defensive center, and then it's guys like Aaron McKee, Eric Snow, guys that will play defense and don't really need the ball to be effective. And that one year it came together in a very weak Eastern Conference, a year that the Ray Allen Bucks very nearly made it, very nearly beat them. That one year came together, but outside of that, they really, really struggled to find success in the playoffs if they even made it. So as phenomenal as AI was to watch, as incredible as a scorer as he was, 26.7 points per game for a career is a joke, but I can't put him higher. So the reason AI is so low on your list is because, or so high, I should say, because of stylistically how he played? No, not at all. It's because teams didn't win with Allen Iverson. Outside of well, I'm one, saying that his style of basketball, you couldn't, you couldn't build around. Yes, I guess essentially a guy that's going to shoot 28 times a game and isn't, you know, Michael Jordan level efficient or someone like that. It's tough to build a winning team around, and really, it's not. I mean, if that style had worked, good for him, but it it didn't as far as winning. It worked as far as incredible individual numbers and first round exits or missing the playoffs entirely. Gotcha. Um, let's move on forward. I'm going to go on to my number six, and it's not AI. I actually put AI at five. You know that? I'm not surprised at all. Um, <laughs> I'm not surprised. At, uh, at number six, I have George Gervin. I have George Gervin at number six as well. So I feel like we should clarify first where we drew the line with some of these shooting guard, small forwards guys. We ruled Gervin a shooting guard. We, he wasn't on our small forward list, and small forward's a more loaded position. So you could argue he was really either one, but he gets a nice sixth spot on the shooting guard list versus not being on the small forward list probably. Jerry West, we called a point guard on a previous list, so we stuck by that. Any other notable calls that we had to make there that you can think of? Uh, I can't. All right, so go with Gervin. So, I mean – it got pretty tough on this list with the competition. I thought Gervin maybe could even be higher with how weak the shooting guard position is all time. He was dominant in the ABA, dominant in the NBA, and he was a dominant scorer, a four-time league leader in points per game. I mean, that's unheard of, a 12-time All-Star, 
five-time first-team All-NBA, four-time second-team All-NBA, and a lifetime 25-point-per-game scorer. I mean, what keeps him away, in my opinion, from really being a key contender is just the lack of a ring and never, you know, a ton of wins. Yeah. I do still think, though, that Gervin is really underrated as a winner because those Spurs teams for were contenders for a stretch. 79, they lose Game 7 of the Eastern Conference Finals to the Bullets. Gervin has 42 in um, Game 7. They lose by two. That was a legitimate title shot for that team. 81-82, they lose the Western Conference Finals to the Lakers, as they do in 82-83. So I do think that they were always in the conversation, even though he really never had a star teammate. His best teammate ever was probably aging Artis Gilmore. But the 25 points per game for his career is ridiculous. Incredibly efficient, 50% from the field, 84% from the line. 12-time All-Star, five-time first-team All-NBA. That's phenomenal. Two-time second team, two-time third team, a four-time scoring champ, 12 straight seasons with 20-plus points per game. And in the playoffs, averaged 26.5 and 7 on 50% shooting for his career. He was three times top three in MVP voting, and they made the playoffs in 13 of his 14 seasons. So, as I mentioned, consistently winning, maybe just not at that elite level because he never had that supporting cast. His five-year peak, from 78 to 82, 29.8 points per game in the regular season, 29.6 in the playoffs, led five straight postseasons in, in points per game. He is truly one of the greatest scorers of all time and another incredibly under-discussed great of the game. George Gervin, also a, a former Virginia Squire. Also a former Virginia Squire, along with Julius Irving, who apparently helped him develop the finger roll, according to a video that I watched, because Dr. J was doing his own version of the finger roll, and then Gervin just made it a little spicier. Any other thoughts on Gervin before we move into the top five? No, I think you covered it with the uh, finger roll. All right, so we have swapped five and seven. You have Allen Iverson. I have Clyde Drexler. Talk about why you have AI higher. Uh, I guess literally just because of the MVP award, and I value that, although I probably shouldn't as much. I mean, he had a finals appearance. I figured with as historically bad as that team is remembered, I could justify it. Hey, I could score inefficiently. Okay. That's a, that, that's a, that's about all. Like, I'm not really going to try to fight it. I should probably have Clyde here instead, but the MVP award kind of drew me in. Yeah, I mean, that 2001 season is an incredible accomplishment overall. and. It is still remarkable that AI dragged that team, that supporting cast, to the finals and that he stole a game in game one. That's AI is great. I just think sometimes he is a little overrated because of the cultural icon that he is, because of how stunning he was to watch and the fact that he's the little guy with all that dog in him, all those factors. So for Clyde, you ran down the accomplishments. He's five-time All-NBA, 10-time All-Star. He has two top five MVP finishes. I think it's underrated how good Clyde was at his peak. There's a reason, foolish as it was, that in going into the 92 finals, people were comparing Clyde and MJ. Clyde's five-year peak from 88 to 92. 24.8 points per game, 6.9 rebounds, 6 assists per game, 49% shooting, and again, two finals appearances is the best guy on a team really matters. He had 13 straight seasons, averaging 18-plus points per game to end his career and averaged 17 in his second season. So every year but his rookie year, he's right around that number. In the playoffs, career averages of 20.4, 6.9, and 6.1 on 45% shooting. In the 90 playoffs, 
averages 21 and a half, seven and seven, gets to the finals. 91, 22, eight and eight, 48% shooting. 92, 26.3, 7.4 and seven going to the finals. 95, 20.5, seven and five on 48% from the field going into that championship season with Houston. He was great in the playoffs and he was great still for that Houston team and in the finals over his career, 24.5, 6.9 and six on 46% shooting in the 90 finals, 26 and a half, eight and six on 54% shooting 92 finals, 25, eight and five 95 finals, 21 and a half, nine and a half and seven. I just think he, he was a great winner. He was incredibly consistent throughout his career. He's one of the great, uh, bigger playmakers of all time. Like he's not a huge guy, but he's relatively tall for a shooting guard. I think he's around six, seven, and he could really do it all on the basketball court. And he was a phenomenal individual talent, a phenomenal number one, and then an incredible number two for a brief time in Houston when that became his role. So I think he's underrated. Carson, I want to turn it back to, um, we just briefly mentioned Dr. J, right? Yeah. I want to bring him back up just briefly for a second because, uh, the ignorant basketball community has uh, frustrated me once more. Shocker. So uh, I can't remember what account it was, but they posted the old video of uh, LeBron running down who his top three all-time players were, right? Mm-hmm. And LeBron said it was Magic uh, – or not Magic, uh, Mike, Bird, and Dr. J. And okay. everybody in the comment section is just, like, howling laughing that he said Dr. J. Really? And I'm like, he never missed an all-star game. He's, he's a 16-time all-star. He was seven times all-NBA. He's an ABA champ, an NBA champ, an ABA MVP, an NBA MVP. Like, this, this is just slander. Well, that's crazy. Of course, I would never have Dr. J in my top three, but I would never have Larry Bird in my top three. Like, players' lists are always going to be a little wacky, but Dr. J is not in the tier where you laugh at that as all. I mean, as you mentioned, three-time ABA MVP, one-time NBA MVP, the only guy to ever win it in both leagues. So incredibly dominant at his peak. And also a great winner. I mean, Dr. J is a top 15 player in basketball history. And, you know, if you're going to throw Larry Bird in your top three, you can throw Dr. J in there. I, I won't. And, and, and also I feel like it was almost disrespectful to LeBron. I mean, if LeBron says Dr. J and LeBron is the best player on planet Earth, maybe you should you know, listen up. Yeah, I listen. I just find that our generation does not pay attention to the past. These guys that say that Michael Jordan played against plumbers and you know the nineties was one of the best nineties was one of the best eras in basketball history and these people are just so oblivious and it's unbelievable. Enough getting angry. Let's move into the top four, which I think should be pretty I bet that we have the same top four in the same order. Who do you have at number four? Number four, I have James Harden. I agree. And I think that Harden, and I hate saying this because for a while here, it seemed like it was going to change. Harden is going to retire, and I think we're going to look back at him in the same grain that we see AI. I mean, a guy that won an MVP, a guy that could put up crazy numbers, who was, I I think Harden, and I'm going to say, I think Harden's a much better scorer than Allen Iverson. Um, just because, and maybe it's just because Harden's 6'5 and can step back a little better. You know, he's got the size advantage. But I think we're going to remember in the same vein is that he could score the basketball but just could never, you know, get into the finals, couldn't break down that door. So 
I think that Harden is a little bit different because he's gotten so close and he's had teams where if they get past the Titan Warriors, they're going to win the title. His career, 25, 5.3, and 6.3 on 44, 36, 86 splits. He's five-time first-team All-NBA, one-time third-team. And the season he was, excuse me, actually, one time he wasn't even All-NBA in 15-16, and he averaged 29, 6, and 7.5, and, and he's a wow. two-time scoring champ going on three. Three straight years with a top-two finish in MVP voting in four of the last five years. Like, this is why I think he's just, I understand the AI comparison, I just think not only is he a better winner, he's a better player. And when you finish top two in MVP voting in four of five years, that's all-time stuff. And the five-year stretch he's on right now, there's good reason. He's averaging 31.7, 6.6, and 8.5 assists per game over five years. That is Michael Jordan-level equivalent because obviously he's got a couple more assists. But to average 32, almost 7, and 8.5, it's almost unprecedented. But the reason I can't have him in the number three spot and the reason I think he's going to have to be the best guy on a championship team to move into that number three spot as incredibly jaw-dropping as his numbers will continue to be and as uniquely unstoppable as he is as a scorer, you mentioned never made the finals as the best guy. And in the playoffs, just 22.9 points, 5.4 rebounds, and 5.6 assists per game on 42% shooting, 33% from three when he's not getting those same calls, when he doesn't get to the line as much, when his body wears down because he plays such a brutal night-to-night style for 82 games in the regular season, he has not been the same in the playoffs ever in his time in Houston, really. And he's had big games, but overall, for a postseason, he hasn't been able to consistently put it together like he does in the regular season. So I think it would be very tough to argue him above Dwayne Wade. I'm sure there are some analytics people that would do it because of how special Harden is as a regular season scorer, but I can't value that over what Dwayne Wade has done in the playoffs. No, I agree. And uh, D Wade is at three for me as he should be. I think that we do have the, I mean, the top four for shooting guards, I feel is pretty clear cut. Um, But with D Wade, I mean, I think people seem to forget Carson and maybe this hurt his legacy all time when he teamed up with LeBron. D Wade was one of the three best players in basketball. Absolutely. I mean, I think people forget how good Dwayne Wade was because he had to take a backseat to LeBron for a little bit. I mean, and in the early on, don't get me wrong, they were, you know, up there with each other. But I just don't think people respect Dwayne Wade as much as they should. I totally agree. And I also think that the fact that the twilight of his career kind of extended because by, you know, 2014 – his peak was long gone and he was really a still a nice contributor, but he wasn't the same dynamic, almost revolutionary athlete. He was when he was younger and also such a great player. Those six finals is one of the greatest accomplishments in NBA history. And Mm -hmm. people will talk about the refs and the fact that he shot 97 free throws in six games, but to average 35, eight and four, 2.7 steals per game as well. And carry a team where Shaq is underperforming in that series averages just 13 a game. And, I think Antoine Walker was the second leading scorer to win a title. I think that was the question I asked you in trivia time. Yeah, you did. And so that's an incredible accomplishment. But the resume overall, I mean, he's a three-time champion. Career averages, still really impressive. 22, 4.7, and 5.4 on 48% from the field. 13-time All-Star, eight-time All-NBA, three-time first team, three-time second, two-time third. Three-time second team All-Defense. He could really guard when he was younger. A scoring champ. 
two top five finishes in MVP voting, had 10 seasons averaging 20-plus points per game, five averaging 25-plus. This is incredible. And this speaks how great he really was. His seven-year peak from 2004 to 2011. So basically from when he first enters the league, except for his rookie season, because he was contributing to winning teams immediately because they got Shaq in the 0405 season through his first season with LeBron, 26.6, 5.2, and 6.6. In the playoffs in 05, in just his second year, they go to game seven of the Eastern Conference Finals versus the Pistons after sweeping the first two rounds. He averages in that postseason 27.4, 5.7, and 6.6 on 48.5% from the field. Gets to the line 10 times a game because he was just a monster at that. In 06, in the playoffs as a whole, 28.4, 5.9, 5.7, 50-38-81 splits, 11 free throws a game. In 11, 24.5 points per game as they go to the finals. In 2012, 22.8 points per game as they win a title. And then not as great in the 13 run. But still, if you look in the finals, he was great then too. 23.9 points per game. We talked about 06. In in 11, when they lost, when LeBron became, as Skip Bayless would put it, the frozen one, D-Wade led the team in scoring. 26.5, 7 and 5 on 55% shooting. And then still in 2012, 22.6, 6 and 5 in the finals. He is an incredible Robin in those... Uh, in those three or four seasons with Miami. By the fourth season, you could argue he had faded a little bit, but certainly for their first finals run and then their first title run, he was still absolute top 10 guy in basketball. And in the 2010-11 season, a no doubt top five guy in basketball. And what he did alone in 2006, he just has to be at number three. I wouldn't really buy an argument for Harden. No, no, I, I mean, I completely agree. And I think the point you made earlier about how it felt extended, uh, his, mm-hmm. the, the twilight of his career. I mean, once LeBron left, the, the spotlight went with him to Cleveland. And D-Wade was left back in Miami with, who, Hassan Whiteside and Goran Dragic. Yeah, and they had Bosch, but then Bosch only really had, like, one season where he played a majority because of his heart problems. And it fell apart pretty fast. Yeah, um, I mean, as, as we get up higher on the list, it's, it's again, pretty clear-cut. Number two, uh, I have Kobe. I have Kobe as well. And I don't really think there's a <laughs> there's really a case to be made for D-Wade at the two spot. I, I'd, I'd be interested in hearing it. I mean, it's not, it's not crazy, but... No, well, Kobe's hold, just, on, hold on, Logan. It's pretty crazy. No, I mean, I'm just saying that I will listen to any case that anybody has for an all-time player like Dwayne Wade. I don't care if it's an analytic-based case. I don't care if it's I, – I would be interested in hearing someone, something that, someone that says Dwayne Wade over Kobe. I do think it's – that's – I'm not disagreeing. That's why I have Kobe too. No, I know. I'm just saying. I think there are levels to this. Like, I'm not going to hear a Kobe over MJ argument. I'm not going to hear a D. Wade over Kobe argument. There are some that are so clear-cut that – you know, I think we can just let them be as is. We don't need the controversy. But talk about Kobe. I mean, an, 18, an 18-time All-Star, five-time champ. And people forget how good he was on the defensive side of the ball, 12 times All-Defense, 15-time All-NBA, two-time Finals MVP, a two-time scoring champ. I mean, Kobe balled his entire career. I mean, until the wheels fell off there until the at, at the end um, with – 
those bad teams in the mid two thousands and right at the end with D'Angelo Russell, um, Kobe always had good teams as well. It he was a very good player and I think is the closest thing that we're ever going to see to Michael Jordan on the basketball court. Yeah, I mean career averages of twenty five, five and five on forty five, thirty three, eighty five splits. The number four scorer of all time over a thirteen season stretch. Averaged 25-plus points per game 12 times. In the only season he didn't, he averaged 24. Averaged 30 points per game three times in his career. And the 18 All-Star appearances, I think, is the second most of all time to Kareem. It's A couple of those are a little bit of charity. I would say he probably deserved more like 15. But still, the longevity is all-time great. The fact that he was as good as he was in his mid-30s, you know, 2012-13 is still averaging 27 a game in what was his 17th season, I believe. And in the playoffs, he was really great. 25.65 career averages there. Three-time playoff leader in points per game. In 01, he first really breaks through. 29.4, 7.3, and 6.1 on 47% shooting as they win a title. But to me, the easily defining accomplishment of Kobe's career is the two-peat in 09 and 2010 because in during the three-peat with Shaq, Shaq was the most unstoppable force in NBA history. He had a three-year finals run in which he averaged like 35 and 16. The dude was maybe 36 and 16. The man was unstoppable. And especially in the first title, they probably could have won that one with or without Kobe because he really struggled. Then the next two, Kobe was legitimately a top five NBA guy and a superstar, but 28 through 2010, Pau Gasol is your second best player. Yes, Pau Gasol is great, but that's an, an incredible accomplishment to win those titles. Three straight finals appearances averaged over those entire playoffs, 29.8, 5.7, and 5.5 on 46.5% shooting led each of those three postseasons in total points. It's an incredible accomplishment. And in the finals, averaged 25.3, 5.7, and 5.1 on 41% shooting, which isn't great, but 02 averages 27, 6, and 5 on 51% shooting. 09 is without a question his best performance against Orlando, scores 30. I believe in each game, averages 32.4, 5.6, and 7.4 on 43, 36, 84 splits. And in 2010, the famous moment from that series is game seven where he shoots six of 24, but overall averaged 28.6, 8, and 4. Yes, the shooting was subpar at 40.5%. And 32% from three, but you mentioned he's the closest thing that we may ever get to Jordan. I think that that's very possible because, I mean, just speaking realistically, his play style is so similar to Jordan's. I mean, the fact that he's a guy that could score out of the post like that, we will mm -hmm. never, I would wager, never have a guard that can score out of the post again like Kobe Bryant. The only guy that we even see take a a pretty post fade regularly is Devin Booker. And, you know, he posts up once or twice a game. I mean, Kobe was operating out of there consistently and mm -hmm. his ability to score truly on all three levels, utilizing the mid range more than anything, what he was athletically as a young guy, he's really incredibly unique. And obviously, you know, it's probably the greatest tragedy in NBA history that he's no longer with us, but we do need to acknowledge his career as one of the 10 greatest NBA players ever. 
I agree. And I mean, you hit it when you talk about the 2000 to 20, 2008 to 2010 run. I mean, it was very prominent when we were kids. It was right in front of us when we're really getting into basketball. And it also fed your affinity for Lamar Odom as well. So uh, <laughs> it did. And I think another thing that we need to remember about that run is 05 through 07. 05, they missed the playoffs. 06 and 07, they lose first round. So getting Pau Gasol on that team and the fact that they were then able to make three straight finals, I don't think that was something people expected. And Kobe's career arc is so different if they continue first round exits because then he's just the guy that helped Shaq win some titles and put up some insane numbers, but it didn't mean much. So I think we're ready for number one. I assume, Logan, that you have Kirk Heinrich. I actually have Michael Carter-Williams. At the two? Really? Yes, uh, they actually just moved in today. Well, I guess every position for MCW, he's number one. <laughs> no, I, clearly far and away we have Big Mike, Michael Jordan. Uh, man, his nickname is literally just Mike on Basketball Reference. Oh, I mean, they have a bunch here, but he's Mike. Uh, Michael is... <laughs> That's it? He's Mike? <laughs> No, it's what it says. He is like when anybody refers to anyone named Mike, it's Michael Jordan. Yeah, you see yeah. Mike? Yeah, I did. Yeah. Go around the uh, great on Hey, you see Mike? Michael mm-hmm. Jordan? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no one else compares to Michael Jordan and Carson. I've seen your Twitter recently. Uh y'all go uh, follow Carson on there. He's got great basketball content of uh all hours of the day. Um the some some of the numbers will really just astound you with Michael Jordan. And I, I imagine how differently, Carson, do you think Michael Jordan would be viewed if he didn't come back in Washington and his career numbers were stupid high? I, I, I wish so badly almost every day that he never came back to Washington because, I mean, he still is the all-time leader in points per game. But from just Chicago, he would have averaged 31.5 points per game. So. There would be even more of a mystique around him. I think that, by and large, we can pretend Washington didn't happen and it doesn't really affect his legacy. So I don't think it's a huge issue, but he would just have the perfect basketball career if Washington had never happened. And if he walks off on that game game winner over Ryan Russell to win the 98 finals, it would just be so perfect. But I don't think it's a huge issue. I mean, maybe it's something that, massive LeBron fans will hold against him. But I think by and large, people understand that he came back as a 38-year-old and it just wasn't really Michael Jordan. Yeah, Michael Jordan, also number one on our uh, top 10 owners list, right? Absolutely. Yeah, he's doing a great job. Yeah. So just so, I mean, looking at Jordan's accomplishments, they are, besides Kareem, in a tier of their own. Six-time champ, six-time finals MVP five-time MVP, a defensive player of the year, 14-time All-Star, 11-time All-NBA, 10-time first-team, one-time second, nine-time first-team All-Defense, 10-time scoring champ. And what is so incredible about that is that's in 11 healthy seasons he played in Chicago. 11. Because he gets injured his second season, comes back midway through 94-95 when he couldn't have even competed for the scoring title. His rookie year averages 28 a game. That's the only season he doesn't win the scoring title. Ten times top three in MVP voting. It's just ridiculous. As we mentioned, 30.1 points per game is the most ever. 6.2 rebounds, 5.3 assists per game, 
50% shooting, 2.3 steals per game. The playoff numbers are so disgusting, I almost don't know if I can go on. His career in the playoffs, 33.4, 6.4, and 5.7 on 49% shooting. In the finals, 33.6 points per game, 6-6 and on 48-37-81 splits. In the 91 finals, averages 31.2, 6.6, 11.4, 2.8 steals per game, and 1.4 blocks per game on 56% shooting. 92 averages 36, 5, and 6.5 and on 53, 43, 89 splits. 93 averages 41, 8.5, and, and 6.3. 41 over a six-game series on 51% shooting, 40% from three. That's the first three-peat, and then the second three-peat, still incredible. Seattle is probably his toughest series, but he's still a no-brainer for finals MVP. And then against the Jazz in 97 and 98 is above 32 a game for both of those. I just, to me, when someone argues LeBron is the greatest of all time, it discredits them so much because that is just such obvious era bias. And it is overwhelmingly young people who never watched Michael Jordan who say that. And just because you didn't watch someone doesn't mean they aren't the greatest of all time. It's not close to me. I hate how the quarantine and the conversation about the last dance is driving this conversation because <laughs> my least favorite conversation in sports, the Michael Jordan versus LeBron James. I've said it a hundred times. LeBron is much, much closer to being the third best player of all time behind Kareem than he is the first. I have nothing else to say, Logan. What would you like to say about Mike? I completely agree, 100%. Everything you just said. That's why I like you, Logan. That's why I keep you around. (laughs) (laughs) You know, last thing I'll say on Mike, you do have to give him credit because even when he came back to D.C. and it was not the best Michael Jordan we'd ever seen, his D.C. run, he was still in the MVP conversation until he got hurt. Yeah, and I mean, he's averaging 22 a game or whatever, coming as a a 38-year-old who hadn't played basketball in three years. He's still just different. He's how, how crazy is that? It's so crazy. His career is so perfect, I can't even believe it. The man averaged 35 points per game and was defensive player of the year in 88. Only five guards have ever won defensive player of the year. And, you know, sometimes it's a guy like Alvin Robertson where his job is play defense or even Gary Payton or Sidney Moncrief. Call me when those guys average 35 points per game and are the best defender on the planet. So to all the people that are proponents of LeBron is the greatest of all time, come at me because it is not close. You cannot make a logical argument. And for people, I've I've said enough. People try to discredit Jordan's competition. That is so absurd. It was an incredible era of basketball. And the reason those guys don't have rings besides Akeem is Michael Jordan. Should we go to the honorable mentions? I think we should. Uh, I, I definitely think we should. Okay, so who just missed your list? So, like I said, the first two guys off of my list were Pistol Pete, and obviously I'm a little biased. Pistol Pete is probably my second favorite player of all time. Um, you know, you just you can go back and look at any of the highlights from his LSU days, from his time in the league, and he's just – he's an interesting guy to learn about. He's an interesting guy to – watch it just I wanted Pistol Pete to make my list um and when we made Gervin a shooting guard which I can't be too mad at because Gervin deservedly made the list I had to give Pete the boot um Reggie Miller obviously you made your case earlier um 
Reggie Mill did not make my list. Um, we we had our little debate and probably determined that Reggie Mill should have been on my list. Yeah, you got owned. Uh, who uh, who were some other guys that I just missed off? So as I mentioned, Joe Dumars was actually probably the first guy off my list, just because a sensational defender, a pretty gifted playmaker, a great shooter. One of the crazy things for me looking at Joe Dumars, and obviously he has the finals MVP um, in 89 where he averaged 27-6 and six on 58% shooting. And then in the 90 finals, averaged 20.6 and 5.62. So sacrifice raw numbers for winning, which is cool with me. I always enjoy that exchange. Um, but by the end of his career, his last two years, over half his shots came from three. So he was looking to the future a bit in the late 90s. But as I mentioned, Hal Greer, a 10-time All-Star, seven-time second-team All-NBA, and maybe should have been on this list. I really thought about it. Averaged 27.7 a game and 66 uh, en route to – excuse me, that should be 67 – en route to um, the Sixers title. 19.25 and four for his career. Really a great player. Of course, Ray Allen, uh, Manu, Clay Thompson. And then I think Vince Carter at least merits an honorable mention as I believe, is he an eight-time All-Star? He's a seven or eight-time All-Star and in his early career was so dynamic as a scorer and athletically and then had a relatively brief prime. He's an eight-time All-Star, only two-time All-NBA, but, you know, hung around for a long time. Yeah, we mentioned uh, Clay Thompson as well. I also think uh, David Thompson warrants a mention. Uh, absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. David Thompson, I didn't think of. He very well could have made my list. Continue. Yeah, I, I thought about David Thompson making my list. Um, wasn't really a competition, in my opinion, with T-Mac's uh, such dominant scoring numbers and uh, the fact that Thompson was only around for eight seasons. Yeah. Um, you mentioned Hal Greer. I think uh, Gail Goodrich wanted to mention as well. Yeah. I'd like to talk about David Thompson for a moment because right. he has those T-Mac qualities. He's the best guy for his lone season in the ABA on a team that makes the finals, a really pretty loaded Denver Nuggets ABA team that had Bobby Jones and um, – who else was on that team? It wasn't Dan Issel, but there was some other great player. It was um, – oh, no, it was Dan Issel. It was Dan Issel. So that was a great ABA team, but he's one of the most dynamic athletes ever. Averages over his first five years, 26, 26, 27, 24, his first four years, excuse me, but then comes back and averages 25 and a half again. And unfortunately, just a career sort of undone by this terrible era in NBA history where – Cocaine addiction is a legitimate problem. I mean, an epidemic. And so he could have had, to me, a career as one of the greatest scorers of all time. And that's not how he will go down because his career just wasn't long enough. But he wouldn't have made my list, but definitely a good honorable mention. So I think that's going to do it for us here today. We have now officially counted down the top 10 at every position. And you can go back to listen to all of those back in the archives. But hope you've enjoyed. I've been Carson Brabber. I've been Logan Camden. And this was Nerd Sense.